you're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook.
before Jesus, the word, which in Greek, by the way, is hypocrite. But before Jesus, the word <laughs> hypocrite meant actor, right? Thespian, somebody who spends their time on stage, somebody who wears a mask, somebody whose job it is to play a part. Somebody who spends their whole life pretending to be somebody that they're not. Somebody who says words that somebody else wrote for them that they don't actually need. Someone who embodies a false identity, and the better they are at it, the more money they make and the more successful they are. Hypocrites. And Jesus takes that word and uses it to describe a pretty fundamental experience that we all have as human beings. A kind of behavior that's not so healthy and that most of us engage in on a pretty regular basis. And the problem is that when it makes its way through the church and into our culture, we've learned that it means only a slice of what Jesus used it to mean. We tend to mean somebody who doesn't practice what they preach. We tend to use it to refer to people who fall from positions of power because they do something and are immediately proved to be kind of liars. So here's an example. Lady Antebellum, right, that's a band some of you know the name of. Okay, so they chose their name a long time ago, and they chose their name because of a prom picture where there was a mansion and people who looked really regal and, you know, etiquette and ball gowns. And a time when men were men and women were women, they just, there was a lot that they liked about it. It was really cool. The problem is that the word antebellum means before the war. And the war we're talking about is the Civil War. And so they were lady before the Civil War. That was the name of the band. And they were fine with that, and the fans were fine. Everybody was cool with that until this year when there were a lot of protests by some people who remember some different things about the time before the Civil War, that it might not have all been you know, nice and elegant and ball gowns. There was maybe a little bit more to it than that. And so suddenly the band took to social media because they're very progressive and they care very deeply about the issue. They were very tearful in all of their conversations about the name, and they decided they were going to change the name to Lady A. Thought a lot about that, clearly. Very great. <laughs> Lady A, that's going to be the name of our band. And then quickly they discovered that there was a musician in Seattle that already went by the name Lady A. Her name is Anita White. She's a blues singer. She's a black lady. And they, they found that out, and uh, apparently she has a trademark and copyright on the name for obvious reasons. And so they thought, okay, well, you know what, here's the thing. So they went on social media and talked about, you know, what we're going to do. We're going to try to write a song with her, maybe do an album. It's going to be this really cool. And Anita is not a dummy. And so she thought, you know, if a very famous country band starts calling themselves Lady A, I'm not going to be the real Lady A. They are. So she drafted up an agreement with a lawyer so they could buy the name from her. But the new Lady A didn't so much like that idea, and they decided to sue her. So I'm just going to recap the story. A band that was named pre-Civil War, because they didn't really think of the Civil War as anything other than a sad time where we lost, you know, the glory days, suddenly decided in 2020 that that might not be the best thing in the world, and then lots of virtue signaling about how they're great and progressive and care about the world, changed the name of their band to the name of a black woman who they then sued because they didn't want to give her any money. <laughs> Hypocrites! <laughs> Now, you and I are really used to that word meaning exactly that thing. We see that all the time on social media and in the media. That is the way the word means something to us. It's when public figures fall from something. And because of the cynicism of our time, there's a part of us that almost like enjoys watching the fall. They should have fallen, those people. 
But the word means a little bit more than that. And I think sometimes when we read the Gospels and we have this kind of cultural understanding of a word that Jesus sort of invents, we, we miss something the Gospels have to say. Because Jesus is talking about people who pretend to be something that they're not. People who pretend to be something that they're not. People who create a fake version of themselves for public consumption. And that's something that everybody does. Uh, we all have a fake version of it. You have a fake you, I have a fake me. We absolutely do. And you probably built yours by the time you were in junior high. We talked about this in one of the other sermons. You probably built a good one. And those of you who built really good ones were very popular in high school and in college. The fake you. The fake you is much less nerdy than the real you. The fake you is much more interesting than the real you. The fake you is more attractive than the real you. Think plastic surgery, cosmetics, hair care and skin care, and oh, by the way, the clothing that we wear on a regular basis. The fake you is the person who shows up to job interviews. The fake you is the person who goes on first dates. The fake you is all the time, everywhere, the person that you exhibit when you're in public. The person that you show at company parties, definitely when you're talking to your boss. The fake you. The fake you is, well, lives on social media, but also in your day-to-day -day interactions with other folks. The fake you is really hard to maintain in long-term relationships. The cracks start to show. So your family knows that it's not completely real, all the things that you put on Instagram. Your family knows things like that. People you date for a long period of time, they start to figure it out. People you marry, it's impossible to hide the real you. Your children, it's impossible to hide the real you. It's impossible. It is impossible to hide from a best friend if you really want a best friend. Because that's part of the joy, right, of those sort of intimate relationships. There's somebody who knows the real you. Somebody you can just be yourself around. Somebody you can let your hair down around. I have so much Somebody, right? You can be, ah, you can just say what you want to say, and you know that they know you, and you know they're not going to necessarily take it the wrong way, because they know the real you. Everybody's got a fake you, and everybody's got a real you. The problem is that the fake you takes a lot of energy to maintain. Because the fake you doesn't exist. The fake you's not alive. So the fake you has to draw life from somewhere, and that person is the real you. The fake you is like a parasite that lives off the real you and that you feed as much as you can. And that can be really problematic. Something that we actually kind of find uh, almost like prison after a while. There's something called imposter syndrome. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? Yeah, it's around. You hear about it in the business world in particular. But it's definitely around in the psychological world as well. And basically imposter syndrome is this. If I work at a job alongside some other people and I get promoted over those people, I go, well, I'm pretty much the same as I was two days ago. I'm not any smarter, I'm not any more clever, I'm not any better at my job, but now I'm in charge. So you start to feel a little bit like a fraud. But then you don't want to be a fraud, you actually want to be good at your job, and so you work really hard to kind of maintain the image that you've kind of got of yourself and that other people have of you. And what probably will happen, that'll get rewarded. So then you'll get promoted, and now you think, man, I'm definitely not as good as I was pretending to be, which I definitely had to do because I wasn't really good enough to get into that job in the first place. So now I have to be even better, and this leads to cycles of perfectionism. This leads to people who do everything they possibly can to keep up with the people around them. It's not just something that happens in business. It absolutely happens on social media. It absolutely happens in mom relationships and in friendships. It's all over the place. And slowly and steadily, you find yourself pretending and pretending and pretending. 
and the distance between the real you and the fake you grows. And that distance is exhausting. You get home at the end of the day and you are wrecked because you've been pretending all day to be nicer than you actually are, cleverer than you actually are, smarter than you actually are, better at your job than you actually are. And now you just you don't have anything left because the fake you's been sucking the life out of you all day. And you desperately want to get back to the real you, but you're not really sure how to do it because you're terrified that you'll be found out. These are the people Jesus is talking about. The hypocrites. The actors. The people who spend their whole lives pretending. The people who embody this sort of false identity, and the better they get at it, the more successful they will become and the more money they will make. Don't pray like them, Jesus says. Because, oh, by the way, the fake you loves religious behavior. The fake you loves being religious. Because religious behavior will make the fake you look amazing. Look how well she prays. Look at their marriage. It's amazing. Look at their kids. Man, they know how to raise kids. She's just got such deep faith. He's such a remarkable person. Look how well they serve. Religious behavior makes the fake you look amazing. And the problem is that the fake you can't actually pray. The fake you can just pretend, because that's what the fake you does. The fake you isn't real, so the fake you can't actually talk to God. And God can't really deal with the fake you because God can't save a mask. God can't save a mask. God can't have a relationship with a mask. God can't hear the prayers of a mask because they're not real prayers. So Jesus says, don't be like those people because they go around praying and they don't actually get anything out of the praying beyond the fact that other people think that they're really impressive. In the ancient world, there was this rule the rabbis had. They said, you can't pray loudly in public. So people would pray quietly in public. They would go out, they would stand on street corners, they'd be in a church, and they'd just sort of... And people would see him and go, look at that guy. He's amazing. Look at the faith. Look how deep a person he is. And so people would do that on a regular basis just to let everybody know how impressive they were, how religious they were, how, how deep their faith went. Here's the thing, Jesus says. That you cannot pray. Only the real you can pray. And the real you desperately needs to pray. The real you needs to be free of the fake you. The real you needs freedom from the fake you. This is a cure. Prayer is a cure for the fake you. So what you need to do, Jesus says, you need to go into some quiet place, like a little room, you lock the door, and you bring out the you that you only show to a couple of people. You bring out the you that God already knows. The God who sees in secret will happily talk to you in secret. The God who knows the real you would love to hear from the real you. So you pray, Jesus says, like this. You say, hey God, I've got hunger that really needs filling. And nobody else knows about it, but I'm really lonely, and I'm really just, I desperately want to end up with somebody I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Oh God, help me. The real me is just so hungry and lonely and in need right now. Oh God, I am desperately in need of forgiveness. The real me is covered by all kinds of shame that I definitely can't tell anybody about. The real me is very aware of being a fraud. The real me knows that I'm not as smart or as capable as other people think. And by the way, I've been pretending to be religious a lot, and I'd love forgiveness from that too. Oh God, I have all this bitterness and this anger in me, and I know that as I ask for forgiveness, I probably should be forgiving other people, and it feels like a trap that I've fallen into. And God, there's this anxiety in my life. 
that just grows every time I pretend to be something I'm not. There's this, there's this uncertainty in my life. There are threats around me. There are people who gossip about me. There are people who do not like me. And I'm doing everything I can, God, but I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. And I just need you to deliver me from evil. Oh, God, save me from the temptations that I have in my life. Oh, God, all those things that I know will destroy me that I can't even admit to other people, but I think about them all the time. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Pray this way. Because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you really believe that, if you really believe that, don't pray the way the hypocrites do. Let the real you talk to the real God about what's really going on in your life. Because here's the thing. God loves the real you. He loves the real you. You don't love the real you. Because you know that person pretty well. God loves the real you. And he knows that person really well. The Bible says very clearly, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Before you ever thought that anyone could ever like the real you, God was madly in love with the real you. And God is very, God is, I think, exhausted watching you exhaust yourself, trying to create a fake version of yourself that other people will like. God loves the real you. And the amazing thing about learning to pray in this way, the gap between the fake you and the real you starts to close. This is part of what it is to follow Jesus. And it's not that we suddenly go, the real me is broken and messy and you guys are just going to have to deal with it. No, actually, God starts to heal the real you and change the real you. And so you actually start to become more like the person you sort of wish you were, but not because you're working so hard and you're making that happen, but because you keep asking God to deal with the real you. Slowly and steadily, he remakes you in his image. This is what the Bible talks about on a regular basis. This is the beauty, the good news that we believe in, that God loves the real you. So the real you needs to pray. The real you needs to pray to a real God. A real God. Don't pray, he says, this is verse 7. Don't pray the way the Gentiles do. Now the Gentiles, as a tricky word in the Bible, it means different things in different places. So sometimes it means someone from another country, a foreigner from somewhere else. Sometimes it means someone who is not Jewish. Sometimes it means a person who believes in a fake God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So first he says, don't be a fake person when you're praying. Now he says, don't pray to a fake God. Because people who pray to a fake God think that what they need to do is talk a lot. If they say the right words in the right order at the right time, then God will finally like them. If they do the right steps in the right dance, then finally God will make it rain. If you can just push the right buttons on some, some amazing God kind of prayer keyboard, he will play, he will give you what you're looking for, like some kind of vending machine. He'll just spit out what I'm looking for. Now, I know people who pray like this, who pray the way the Gentiles pray. Some of them are not Christians. Some of them are Christians. Some of them have missed what Jesus says about how we pray and what sort of God we pray to. But my friends who are not Christians, when they pray this way, what they do is they say, you know, if there's anybody up there, if anybody cares about me, if anybody's really listening, I know I haven't been the best lately, but I'm trying, and I just, I wish, actually, this, you know what, I just really need help right now. I really need help right now, and if, if, if you get me through this, if you're even there, if you're even listening, then, you know what, I'm going to serve the homeless every Thanksgiving, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop drinking so much on the weekends. And I'm going to, and the list goes on, and it becomes this weird deal you're trying to make with someone you're not even sure exists, because you're just desperate. Don't pray that way. Now, that's a decent beginning to prayer, but if you know the God that we're talking about in Jesus... 
If you know the Father we've been talking about for the last few weeks, you know actually cares about what's actually going on in your life. He already knows about what's going on in your life, that he's invested in you, and that he actually will listen to your prayers. You don't have to wonder. It really does exist. You don't have to wonder. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And so we don't have to try and pretend to be something to get God to like us. We can pray about what we really want to a real God. The movie Bruce Almighty, you seen it? Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's not amazing. <laughs> Morgan Freeman is God? Really? That's amazing. Morgan Freeman, absolutely, you should be tied yesterday. Jim Carrey plays somebody who's pretending to, well, Jim Carrey plays somebody who thinks he can do a better job than God. That's the whole movie, right? He thinks he can do a better job than God. But at one point, one of the better moments in the movie, they start talking about prayer. And so Morgan Freeman's God looks at Jim Carrey, they're talking about prayer. And Jim says, all right, um, I pray that, like, the world, that there wouldn't be any more fighting, the world would be at peace, and uh, that people wouldn't go hungry, and that children would be happy, that people in general would be happy, that things would, would just, that people would be nicer to each other. How's that? And God looks at him and says, I mean, it's fine. If you want to be like Miss America, uh, what do you really want? And Jim Carrey seems a little surprised and stops and kind of thinks about it. And then seems a little bit more surprised as he says, you know, the woman that I love, I really want her to be happy. And I want to be a part of that. But if I can't be a part of that, I still want her to be happy. Now that's a prayer, God says. What do you really want? What do you actually want? You don't have to try and get God to love you. God already loves you. You have to try to convince him to be good. He's already good. You don't have to convince him that you're worthy. He already died for you on the cross. Already happened. Everything we do is response to this God. Everything we do when we talk to this God, we're talking to a God who already loves us. Don't pray like the Gentiles do. Pray this way. Pray to a God who actually loves you and actually cares about you. So when you pray, and you're praying in some secret place, and it's the real you, don't try to be more religious than you actually are. If you're the kind of person who curses and uses bad words, use those in prayer. God already knows those words exist. <laughs> he already knows that you're thinking. He actually knows you. Tell him the truth. God, I'm really pissed off at you right now. I don't know what you're doing. There's this whole book in the middle of the Bible. It's called Psalms. It's full of prayers. Some of those prayers, the person who goes, man, God, I can just tell. If I do what you want, my life is going to be better. And I'm working really hard to make my life better because I trust you and I think you've got a plan. And then a couple of songs later, he's like, I don't think you've got any plan. I've been following you. What's the deal? This is not working out for me. I don't know who bothers following you. What's going on, man? And the next prayer, he's like, you know, actually, it really worked out for me that time. I can't <laughs> that, was, that was crazy. Uh, man, and I'm going to tell a lot of people about this. Like, this, I need to just, I need to tell some people about what God has done in my life. Like, I need to praise him. And there's this weird kind of spiral you hit. If you read the Psalms, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, they will teach you how to pray. Pray those prayers. They'll teach you how to pray. You go, I can say this to God? I can say, how long? Are you going to do anything? I can say that? Yeah, because it has it in the Bible, so it's okay. But Jesus, when he teaches us to pray here, teaches us to pray and say, look, I know who you are, and I know you're good, and I know that you've got a kingdom and a will, and all that's coming, but I am hungry, and I would like you you know, help with that. And I, I can use more forgiveness, and I believe that I've been forgiven, but I can use a little bit more of that. And I, I know that you're in charge, but also I have an enemy, and I feel these temptations. Could you please deliver me? 
don't try to be somebody you're not in prayer. Don't talk to God as though he's not who he is. Let the real you talk to the real God about the world the way that it really is. We talk to God about the world the way that it really is. We don't want to pray the hypocrites do, the actors. We don't want to pray the way that the Gentiles do, those who don't believe in the real God. Real God about who we really are the way the world really is. Hannah, can you pull up that slide for me? This is a guy named Musa Krishna, and this is his God. This is Talande India. This is real. That is a statue of Donald Trump. He made it himself. This is not a joke. This is a real thing. He absolutely worships him. I'm not kidding. In Hinduism, people who gain wealth and power are people that the universe has given them wealth and power to. They've earned it. They've been incarnated in this way. Years ago, he decided this person was God and made a statue and does all of the sorts of things, the rituals that people do to worship God, which is things like that. If you know Hinduism, you know, we'll talk about it next time. So, Buddha <laughs> Krishna, when he first made the statue, several of his family members thought he was mentally ill because this is crazy. And then as time went on, they realized, no, this is sincere. Like, he actually, like, this is real devotion. He really believes he's in his right mind. This is his God. And for four years, he bows down to the person who came to him on the wall in devotion all the time. And then when Donald Trump got the coronavirus, um, he was really upset. He was really, really upset. And he locked himself in a room. And in solidarity, but also in fear uh, for the life of his God, uh, he just refused to eat. He honestly died doing that. He refused to eat and drink until Donald Trump got better. He died doing that. And after his death, his friends and his neighbors are maintaining the shrine. And they're maintaining the shrine because there's something about this kind of devotion that says to people, you really believe this. This is really his God. Thank you very much. You can take it. Now, I don't know if you heard this. There was an election recently in this country. You might not have heard that. It was pretty loud. And nobody was making statues. But there were flags, and there were certainly yard signs. And there were certainly social media posts, and there was certainly really intense rhetoric. And there were all sorts of statements about the way that the world really is. You remember those? Now, the truth is that our election was really a popularity contest between two old white men. And not a lot has changed. We still, in this country, have a mental health crisis, an opioid crisis, a raging pandemic, Immigration crises, financial crises, a divided nation. Um, oh, people of color are still definitely being oppressed by our justice system. Uh, there's a massive income inequality gap. There's government corruption online. And if your faith is in Joe Biden, honestly, you're going to be really disappointed. If your faith was in Donald Trump, honestly, you were going to be really disappointed. Jesus teaches us to pray about the world the way that it really is. Whose power? Whose glory? Whose kingdom? Who does it belong to? Who's really in charge? Now this prayer ends with that kind of conclusion because we get to the end and we go, I will say in the world in which I live that I believe, I believe contrary to all appearances sometimes, 
that God is really in control. That the God that I pray to, that, that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory that lasts forever. Amen. Amen? Now, we pray that way, and we pray that way on a regular basis, in part because it helps us to find the real us, in part because it helps us to find the real God, and in part because it reminds us of the way the world really is. In fact, in a weird way, Jesus tells us, it actually helps bring that world the way that it really is. And so we pray really differently because of who our God is. We think really differently because of who our God is. The great rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, I'm going to paraphrase him because he was talking about Judaism. Christianity is a protest against the world that is, in the name of the world that ought to be. So you can be a minority living in a country whose religion, culture, and legal system are not your own, and yet sustain your identity. Live your faith. Contribute to the common good exactly as Jeremiah said. It isn't easy. It demands a complex finessing of identity. It involves a willingness to live in a state of cognitive dissonance. It is not for the faint heart. But Christianity is a protest against the world that is. In the name of the world that ought to be. We are shouting at the world in which we live. We are reminding ourselves every time that we pray that it's just a matter of time. Not just before God deals with my prayers, not just before God answers the real me, but it's just a matter of time before the kingdoms of this world are turned absolutely upside down, and every eye will see, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We absolutely believe that, and this prayer teaches us day in and day out what it actually is to believe these things about God, to believe these things about ourselves, to believe these things about the world that we They, they wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer, and in the middle of it, they tell this story about a prison camp for prisoners of war in World War II. On a cold, dark evening, after a series of beatings, after hundreds of prisoners of war had been marched before the camp commander and yelled at for an hour, harangued. When the prisoners were returned to their dark barracks and told to be quiet for the rest of the night, someone, somewhere, in one of the barracks, began saying the Lord's Prayer. Some of his fellow prisoners lying next to him began to pray with him. Their prayer was overheard by prisoners in the next building. He joined them. One by one, each set of barracks joined in the prayer until, as the prayer was ending, the divine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Hundreds of prisoners enjoyed their voices in strong, growing, defiant prayer, reaching a thunderous amen. And then the camp was silent. People were still in prison. But the tables had turned. The prisoners had thrown off their chains, and a new world had been sighted, signaled, and stated. Wherever, since the day that Jesus taught us, this prayer has been prayed. Even in the darkest of days, the worst of situations, prisoners have been set free, the blind see, the lame walk, the poor have good news, proclaimed to them. And a new world, not otherwise available to us, has been constituted. Every time we pray this prayer, every time we say that we belong to another king, we say we belong to another power, we say we are about another glory forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
And there's this friend of mine I was talking to this week, and we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, and I was telling her about the series. And uh, she said, you know, it's really funny. When I was a kid, and we were on the phone with my parents, and we would pray the Lord's Prayer. But when one of them was out of town, and we would pray the prayer, the other person on the other line. We got to the very end, and we would yell. We would yell, because we deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is going to get loud there. I'm, I'm just warning you, right? So, she said, it was a weird thing. When I became an adult, I found out, like, you pray this prayer really politely and quietly in the church. And it was this weird, like, thing that I had to kind of learn how to do. And I said, man, that's a really sad thing to unlearn. That's absolutely the way we should be praying the end of the prayer. We should absolutely be praying that with that level of enthusiasm and passion and just like and confidence that that is actually the God that we believe in. It's a sad thing that you weren't yelling every time that we pray that prayer in, in the church that you're in. And she said, yeah, it is, I guess it's a sad thing, but I think I don't want to be the weirdo. So today, <laughs> today, in, in solidarity with my friend, wherever she is, uh, we're, we're going to pray that way. So I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me, and then at the end, we're going to get loud. And I absolutely expect you to get loud, and until you're loud enough, we're going to do it again and again. So I just want to be really clear. There's no, like, quietness or, like, wondering if the people next to you are going to pray this way. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter if anybody else prays this way, because we actually believe in Jesus, and we believe he listens to these words. Right? So this is how it goes. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 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 I thought we were going to have to do it like five times. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. That's absolutely how Jesus teaches us to pray. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen and amen. That's what the real you can say to the real God about the way the world really is. Would you pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you.